Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. And as one test series finishes, another one starts right back up again. Australia knocked off Pakistan 3-zip and now take on the West Indies in two test matches in Adelaide and Brisbane. My name is Josh Shonafinger. I'm joined on this episode by cricket.com.au's senior writer and proud South Australian, Andrew Ramsey. Rambo, how are you, mate? How's Adelaide? Uh, Josh, I can report that it's delightful, which has probably surprised no one who's ever been to Adelaide. Um, The sun's out, it's 34 degrees, and I'm sitting in a, a radio box overlooking the world's prettiest cricket ground, which is uh, a picture at the moment. So um, all's well. I think weather forecast for the the five days is very good. Not bakingly hot, but warm enough. Um, so it should be uh, should be a very good test match. And back to the regular day test as opposed to the day night stuff, Rambo. Um, what's the sort of feeling around Adelaide? Are they happy with that, or do they like the pink ball stuff? Well, given that Adelaide is the the centre of sporting activity in Australia, um, there's a fair <laughs> bit going on at the moment. There's, we've had the tennis warm-ups. We've got the uh, tour down under cycling is happening in and around Adelaide as we speak. So there's a lot going on. But I think the the crowd expected to be good. Adelaide Oval members are fanatical. They'll turn out in their droves. And mm. uh, I heard the other night that uh, Adelaide is Adelaide Oval now boasts the largest membership of any cricket club in the world. Um, Right, peaking at around thirty thousand, or that I think that includes some of the waitlisted people who are trying to get their membership. Um, so there'll be good numbers here. The fact that it's a, a day test match starting on a Wednesday um, might normally present a few issues, but I think because it's school holidays and it's nice weather, that they they should be coming out. And there's a bit of intrigue about the West Indies, so hopefully, while it might not be capacity, there'll be a, a healthy turnout of folks. I think. Yeah, and they've got a couple of homegrown heroes in Travis Head and Alex Carey to cheer for as well because uh, if we go back in the last few years or the last couple of decades at least, uh, the South Aussies have been few and far between in the test side. I can think of Gillespie and Lehman and uh, not too many others, to be honest, at least on a regular basis. So good to see those uh, Redbacks in the test 11 and doing well for Australia. So let's get into that 11, actually. A few talking points to speak of since David Warner's retirement over the New Year's test to much fanfare, there's then been the discussion about who should uh, slot into that opening role, and it's going to go to Steve Smith. He's one of two changes in the batting lineup. Cameron Green comes into the spot vacated by him at number four, so a bit of shuffling there, and it means that no luck for the guys who have been doing well in the Sheffield Shield stuff. Cameron Bancroft, Marcus Harris, and Matt Renshaw have missed out on selection, although Renshaw is in the extended squad. Uh, so why don't we start with Smith's promotion to opener, Rambo? Uh, that was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Uh, yes, uh, a bit of intrigue around that. It suddenly, suddenly emerged during the Sydney test against Pakistan that uh, Steve had put his hand up to, to be an opener. Um he admitted yesterday when we spoke to him that even the selectors didn't take him seriously when he first <laughs> floated that suggestion. Um, it took them a couple of weeks to realise that he was genuine um, and it sort of ticked a few boxes. It, uh, if he was keen to do it, then it um, helped solve an issue of uh, getting an established opener with a test record in there. It created an opening at number four, which is Cameron Green's preferred batting spot, so it gets him back into the, the 11 and as selection chair George Bailey said it um, It allows them to pick what they believe are the, the best six batters in Australia now that David Warner's retired. So um, tough call for specialist openers, the likes of Cameron Bancroft and Marcus Harris, who'd been in and around the periphery for a while and certainly performing at domestic level. But um, 
with that a new opener coming in who's an old middle order player at um there's a bit of same 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 but in a slightly different mode yeah, I suppose you're right. And I suppose there's also the precedent with Usman Khawaja who batted a lot in the middle order as well before sort of cementing his spot at the top. So maybe they're looking at that blueprint a bit. But was there any discussion or uh, maybe a debate about where Cameron Green should slot into that lineup? Because I've seen a few people say, well, does he deserve the number four spot? Uh, it's, it's a reasonable question. Um, and he said himself, we spoke to him earlier today, and he said that when he knew there was a, a vacancy coming up in the, the test 11 and given that you know, he's been 12th man winning around the group for the last ever since England when he wasn't uh, named in the team that is a reasonable expectation that they saw him as the next cab off the rank so he'd half expected or 95% expected he said to be picked as an opener if he was going to come back into the team All right. Um, so then to be slotted in at number four uh, he can always point to his domestic record, which is pretty remarkable. Like he's batted at number four for Western Australia for a few years now and averages just over 65. I think he's scored 700s there with a, a best of 251 against Queensland. So you have to, it's hard to argue that he's not a, a specialist number four. Um, but in saying that, you're right, he hasn't been tried there in test cricket. His numbers at number six probably haven't been great. Um, and... I guess it's a bit of an experiment. I also looking through some numbers, and they haven't had a lot of luck with the players aged under twenty-five at number four. Um, I think the last player of that tender age to score a Test century at number four was Greg Chappell in nineteen seventy-three. So uh, wow, uh, he's got some some big shoes to fill, even though he's got very big feet himself. <laughs> How far back do we have to go to get to Greg's hundred at number four? Uh, he was age 24. It was 1973 in Barbados against the West Indies. I think the only other player since then who's been 25 and under and scored at least 50 at number four is Damian Martin. So uh, uh, this, or Stephen Wall might have done it once, but um, there hasn't been many. So it's, uh, it's a bit of uncharted territory putting a young bloke in at that level of responsibility. So um, interesting to see how Cameron goes. Mm. And no doubt he'll be expected to bowl a bit as well throughout the test match. So on the bowling side of things, we know just how good Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood have been. But Scott Boland is still in the squad. Is he any chance of playing or is he just there purely to carry the drinks again? No, it was unusual when they named the new squad with uh, without David Warner um, and the selectors who normally just say, we'll pick a squad and it's up to the captain and the coaches to who goes where. Um, they announced that there would be the 11 and that Stephen Smith would open and that Cameron Green would bat at four. So um, Scott Boland and Matt Renshaw are, are the spare parts players for this test. Obviously, it's a two-test series, so uh, they may come into the reckoning in Brisbane. But um, at this stage, uh, actually, I haven't even seen Scott Boland. I think he's still coming involved in BBL duty. So uh, if he hasn't turned up in the prelim to the test, then he's unlikely to be factoring unless there's an injury somewhere. Um, so, yeah, those two are, are very much the auxiliary players, and I guess they're in case of a mishap. Yeah. Uh, let's jump over to the West Indies then. It's a squad that even, you know, the most rusted on Aussie cricket fans would have you know, a hard time recognising a lot of these names. Uh, only five or six, I think, from the squad who were here last summer have returned, so it's a completely different squad. We know Brathwaite is going to captain again at the top of the order. Kemar Roach and Elzari Joseph, of course, are some exciting quicks, but who else uh, is there, Rambo, to talk about? Because there's seven players in the squad of 15 without uh, a test experience. 
yes, that's a very good question. And I was at the three-day tour game at Karen Rolden Oval last week and uh, the fact that they had numbers on their shirts was hugely beneficial. <laughs> the fact that those shirts didn't have names but just numbers meant that I was constantly jumping from the team sheet to the field of play to see who was doing what. Um, but there's interesting stories there. There's a lot of guys who um, they're not new to cricket, but you know, Kavim Hodge, who's expected to make his test debut batting at probably five. Um, he came to Adelaide as a 17-year-old in 2010 and was a member of the, the Darren Lehman Academy, uh, which gives opportunities for players from around the world to come and experience Australian conditions. And he was in the same intake of that group as um, former England captain Joe Root. Uh, obviously, Joe's had a bit more of an international career than Carvim, who's played you know, first-class cricket for quite a while but never got his chance. And mm. he looked very polished. He made you know, 52 in the first innings, I think, and was unfortunately out for 99 in the second innings when he somehow managed to contrive to get a ball from his pad onto his stumps. But um, he'll come in, I would expect. Um, there's another seam bowling all-rounder, Justin Greaves, who was a teammate of um, Kavim Hodges and Craig Brathwaite in the West Indies 2012 Under-19 World Cup team that played here in Australia. All right. Um, and he looked a likely type. He made um, a couple of 50s or 40 and a 50 in the in the tour game and certainly bowls a bit, gets a, gets it through. Um, and I think the probably the player that most people are excited to see, even if they don't know much about him, is uh, Shamar Joseph, who's no relation to Vice Captain Alzari Joseph, but um, he's come. He's a 24-year-old from Guyana who's just sort of come literally almost from nowhere um, to burst onto international cricket scene, um, having won a CPL contract in the Premier League over there. So uh, he's a very interesting story from given that he comes from a remote village in the Guyanese jungle. Well, yeah, and I do want to um, suggest to all our listeners to jump onto cricket.com.au and read your article from, uh, must have been day one or day two of that tour game? Uh, yes, day two, I think. It was the, yeah, the day two. After we'd seen him bowl. Yeah, well, it goes through where Shamar's actually from, a 200-kilometre boat ride just to get to his village or something. Yes, which he's told me since I... Uh, I had a look and it was suggested it can take two days to get there by boat. And he said that's only in extreme conditions when the, the vegetation and the river system has uh, got away from people. And it's, he said normally it's about five or six hours by boat, but it can take a lot longer. So um, it's a village that's like a long way upriver from the nearest port town, which is New Amsterdam, which in itself is 110 kilometres, I think, from Georgetown, the capital. So you can go as far as New Amsterdam by road, then you have to go by boat into the the heart of Guyana, which I know wow. from uh, previous visits, is quite impenetrable. Having <laughs> flown into the Kaitua Falls many years ago, it's uh, there's not a lot, uh, not a lot of action in that part of town. Um, but he's, uh, you know, fascinating story. He's, he was telling us that he's his two children, um, two boys, one's two and another one four months. Um, he was fielding in the outer at Karen Rolton Oval, and he saw some kids playing cricket on the on the grass hill using a tiny little bat and he'd never seen kids' cricket gear before so he went out in Adelaide on the weekend to visit a couple of sports stores and tracked down a, a little miniature cricket bat that he's now got tucked away in his luggage to take home to his son who's already showing an interest in cricket at age two. So um, if anything good comes out of this trip, it'll, it'll be that. There might be another young fast bowler on the way. 
All right, so what sort of contest should we be expecting? Uh, if we look at the Pakistan series, none of us, if we're being honest, really expected them to put up much of a contest, uh, but they were terrific. And in Melbourne especially, they could have stolen that test match. In Sydney, they were right in the contest again. Rambo, you've put in the hard yards. You went to all three days of the Cricket Australia mm-hmm. 11 versus West Indies tour match at Karen Rolton Oval, which took place uh, over the last couple of days. Is it going to be a close contest or will Australia simply blow them out of the water? Um, yeah, given that they were here last year for two tests and they probably didn't have their best tour, um, they were pretty comprehensively beaten in Perth and in Adelaide. Um, I guess expectations were low, but there's been quite a bit of change in West Indies cricket since then. They've sort of split the, the coaching in the white ball and red ball formats and the, the coach of the red ball team is um, Andre Coley, who didn't play international cricket, but he's a, he's a very astute coach. He's coached, uh, I think he coached that 2012 World Cup team or was a member of the coaching panel of the Under-19 World Cup. So he knows a lot of those players and has been sort of integral in their development for a while. Uh, but he's he's brought this sort of much sharper focus, I think. Um, I think it's fair to say that they, the theme of this trip for them has been to restore a bit of pride in West Indian cricket. Craig Brathwaite spoke about it uh, during that tour game. Um, Zari Joseph and Joshua De Silva have both mentioned it in the pre-test match chats they've had here at Adelaide Oval that um, they're very keen to to stop the bleeding, as it were. West Indies Test Cricket has been in a bit of a, a state of disrepair for a while and this squad is it features so many sort of uncapped players simply because a lot of the, the better-known players in the Caribbean have gone to franchise cricket or white ball cricket or they're preparing for the for the T20 World Cup in their, their home countries later in the year. Um, so there's a bit of a, a bit more of a steely edge. I think the fact that at the tour game they could have just easily agreed to call it off midway through day three when it was clearly there was going to be no result, um, that it was 37 degrees. and um, But Andre Coley wanted his bowlers to get back out there and bowl it out until the end of the day. Um, yeah, they took five wickets in the heat and um, bowled in short spells. But the message is pretty clear that they're here to to restore some pride. And the way they, they went about it, uh, their batting might not be uh, – it might not have too much – flourish to it but I think they might be solid and I think their bowling is going to be their strength if they can you know, get through a couple of early Australian wickets and get into that reshuffled middle order I think they'd have to be a chance to uh, to get them out for a reasonable score and it's just going to be up to their batters to try and put something on the board that can keep them in the game. Mm, fantastic. Well, we know that the Adelaide pitch has been pretty sporting over the last few seasons with the day-night stuff, so hopefully uh, it's the same again this year with the Red Bull stuff. Uh, a couple of rapid stats. These are the batting averages of some of Australia's players against the West Indies. We've got Kawaja, 63, very solid. Then that spikes to Steve Smith, averages 154 against West Indies across seven test matches. Travis Head averages 156, and Manus Labuschagne averages 167 against the Windies after scoring 502 runs in just two test matches last summer. So these boys certainly know how to fill their boots against the Windies, and there could be some big scores if the pitches allow. Uh, indeed, and the, the one tidbit I can share with you, Josh, is that uh, the new Australian opening batting combination seen leaving Adelaide Oval today clearly heading to golf uh, Steve Smith in the 
the designer shorts and a, a polo shirt and Usman Khawaja with the traditional top button done up and a, a nice pair of comfortable slacks. So they've got the important <laughs> things sorted out. I don't know how the running between wickets will go or who's going to face the first ball, but at least they know each other's golf games. I think that's important. <laughs> Did you manage to get a close look at Usman Khawaja's shoes this week? Has he got anything written on there? Uh, no, it hasn't been. Uh, I, I had a look. I couldn't see anything. Um I think uh, that's an issue that uh, Usman's sort of steering away from at the moment. Uh, but his golf shoes, I don't know. I, he was wearing comfortable sort of, think like the hotel slippers that you get. Uh, they might be more designer than that. But uh, he might have been putting the spikes on when he got out to, to Ku Yongwa or wherever they were playing. Good stuff. Hopefully no uh, golf cart-related injuries on the golf course this time around. Uh, the first test of the NRMA Insurance Test Series against the West Indies starts on Wednesday, January 17. All the action can be watched on Foxtel, KO Sports and Channel 7. News, scores and video highlights on Cricket Australia, live app and cricket.com.au. Rambo, thanks for joining us on this episode. Very pleasant. Uh, it's always nice to do a little cameo, so thanks for having me, Josh. This has been the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. Australia.